This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. In the spirit of being grateful for small mercies, one of the pluses of the current roadblock on blockbusters is surely the opportunities it offers for up-and-coming directors. While the big names languish in the gods' waiting room, the second division are allowed to get their smaller films out, sometimes on Netflix and Disney+, and sometimes in actual cinemas. I don't think you really know what a bad day is. But you won't find out. A thick-ear B-movie like Unhinged certainly gains status by having a genuine movie star like Russell Crowe in it. But is that enough to join the A-list? Looking down the filmmakers who've had moderate hits recently for want of much competition, I don't see Oscars and Palm Door on the horizon yet for the likes of Derek Borter, Andy Tennant, Drake Doremus or Brett and Drew Pierce. What are you doing up here? Don't let her in. My son likes to play hide and seek. Can you bring him down? I didn't say he was here. You're a very stupid boy. These are the equivalents of the people who used to toil for drive-in movie king Roger Corman, making schlock potboilers like Hot Car Girl, The Brain Eaters, Stakeout on Dope Street and Teenage Caveman. And like Corman's hacks, most of the current crop, times up or no times up, are still mostly men. Mr. Sokawa, may I present Miss Roxankos? It is a great pleasure. The pleasure's all mine. There are certainly plenty of women in front of the camera of Bel Canto, Where'd You Go Bernadette and Endings and Beginnings, but the people calling the shots are still men. In fact, it's been a bad week for women in film, at least at the cinema. This is Claudia, his protector. That she's both beautiful and strong. Your job is to bring honour to the family. Nikki Caro's hotly anticipated Disney spectacular Mulan was the latest casualty of COVID-19. It was relegated to streaming service Disney+, Plus, despite being the poster project for so many causes. It had a female hero, a mostly Asian cast, and a story that's always been big in China. Plus, it was that rare thing, a blockbuster directed by a woman, a New Zealand woman at that. Loyal. Brave and true. It is my duty to protect my family. Well, you can't argue with the market, I'm afraid, even if a small screen fate is unlikely to await more traditional comic book fare like Wonder Woman and Black Widow. Before I was an Avenger, 
I made mistakes. And a lot of enemies. So how are Hollywood filmmakers handling the wait for better times? A little later I'll talk to award-winning editor John Gilbert, currently waiting for the chance to finish his Jessica Chastain thriller in London. And a promising-looking superhero project starring Charlize Theron, no less, turns up on Netflix. Well, have you figured this out yet? You can't die. Get up. Can you please not do that again? So how come we've never heard of The Old Guard? But first, the New Zealand movie drought is over. First out of the gate, a quirky comedy called This Town. I'm Sean. And this is obviously my dating video. Just wanted to say, I didn't kill my whole family. This town is a reminder that any New Zealand feature film that isn't dark, navel-gazing and occasionally violent is usually described as a quirky comedy. If it's not directed by Taika Waititi, unfortunately that's also often code for a comedy without enough jokes in it. In the case of this town, it means dollops of kiwiana and, shall we say, challenging subject matter. I read on the internet that you should show your hobbies. You sure you're, you know you want that one holding it? Yeah, that's my favourite gun. Sean's putting himself up on the dating market, despite you heard right, being arrested for killing his entire family. Did he do it? Did he not do it? Either way, it's an uncomfortable start to a film clearly intended to be a lovable romantic comedy. He changed his story twice. I mean, he blames it on the trauma, but come on. That's Rima Tewiata, one of the impressive cast roped in by star, writer, director and producer David White. Rima plays the unscrupulous journo who covered Sean's case before and sees a potential book now he's been released. You swipe right if you like the look of them, left if you don't. What a match. He's so nice, so sweet. You can't go out with that guy, he's a murderer! Online, Sean discovers Casey, who's immediately drawn to him despite his past. There seems no apparent reason for this, but clearly the writer and director David White sees a charm and innocence in star David White that eludes the rest of us. It certainly eludes obsessed ex-cop Pam. Being cop's what I am. People forget that he's innocent. I made you a bowl. Oh, I'm going to get him. Just you wait. Pam, as played by Robin Malcolm, is so obsessed she never seems to brush her hair. She was so sure Sean was guilty that when he was finally released for insufficient evidence, Pam quit the police force and went into business running a petting zoo. However, in her spare time, she plots to send Sean back to the slammer. I love you. You're joking, right? I guess he is kind of cute. She needs to see what he's capable of. Oh, 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 okay, see. It's really good. This town is all over the place tonally. Sometimes it's wacky, childlike farce, particularly when Sean and Casey get together. Other times it's a spoof on the media as the cynical, glossy magazines make up stories to fit their headlines. And sometimes it's a whodunit as Pam's investigation unearths unexpected facts. I think you're going to catch this one. It's all about keeping up the pressure. Did you do it? Tell me. Get out! Ah! 
But at its centre, it's the unsavoury crime driving the story. No, it's not based on any real-life family murder, we're told, but it's close enough to be unnecessarily creepy. From the headlines of Sean's family being killed to the fact that even if he didn't do it, somebody did, can't help but leave a bad taste. The Pam could find the shotgun. Whoa. Everyone is so mean to you. Kill that bastard! That's just the way that it is, OK? The stellar cast, including Danny Mulheron, Catherine Wilkin and Johnny Bruff, pop in and out, waiting to be given more to do, but mostly all that's required of them is to provide a backdrop to the goofy lead duo. Just looking for a ring. It's got to say, I'm sorry, I love you, and will you marry me? It's $16,000. Have you got anything for a few hundred? Still, if you respond favourably to the term Kiwiana and the sort of deadpan humour mostly associated with fast food TV commercials here, this town may very well be for you. It's fun, as Bill Murray used to say, but it's just not my sort of fun. See it for the cast, maybe, and for the fact that Kiwi comedies aren't so common we can afford to throw them away. They say the heart wants what the heart wants. She hasn't even done that at all. I just want to give Casey the life she deserves. Did he do it? I mean, who knows? You're the one who believes me. You make me feel like no one else could. Last week I suggested that if we were going to be swamped with B-movies, could there at least be ones that I might enjoy? Well, be careful what you wish for. Could a superhero gang led by Charlize Theron and born in medieval times be any more me, I wondered? I lead a group of soldiers. Fighters like you. With an extremely rare skill set. What do you mean? Well, yes, it could. The old guard could certainly use more jokes and better characters for a start. We meet Nile, an American Marine in Afghanistan. One day, she runs into trouble and gets killed. Or does she? Mother? Let's just say we're very hard to kill. Her body revives in the back of a jeep driven by a tough cookie called Andy. It's short for Andromica, played by Charlize. Niall tries to escape, but she is recaptured by Andy, who tells her she's immortal. You've got questions, kid. You want answers? I have the new one. And? I think she has potential. Wait, immortal? Tell us more. But despite the fact that Andy is relegated to rather more exposition duty than an action star usually has to deliver, she remains remarkably short on detail. See, you're already healing faster. You're going to do great. So you good guys or bad guys? Depends on the century. But she does introduce Niall to their fellow immortals, Booker, Joe and Nicky. That's right, there are just five of these immortals in the world, and they've been around for hundreds of years. How? Why? Well, do you want boring explanations or do you want more kick-ass action? So how old are you? We met in the Crusades. The Crusades? We killed each other many times. We fought thousands of battles side by side. 
The Old Guard, a name so generic I kept forgetting it, is based on a comic book series by Greg Rooker, who also wrote the script. It has all the hallmarks of a pilot for a TV series, including a cliffhanger ending, except for the presence of Charlize, who you'd think doesn't need to do this sort of thing anymore. So we really never die. Just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop hurting. (laughs) Throughout history, we've protected this world, fighting in the shadows. It's nearly impossible to disappear in the world we live in today. Perhaps she did it as a personal favour for the director, the exotically named Gina Prince-by-the-wood, who sounds like she should be a member of an ages-old group of superheroes. These are extraordinary individuals. They are extremely resistant to capture. But I digress. The plot, what little there is for a film over two hours long, involves Merrick, the villainous head of a chemical firm, and his conflicted offsider Copley, played by perennial good sport Chuetel Ejiofor. They're both anxious to capture the gang of immortals and find out what makes them keep ticking. We can unlock their genetic code. The entire world will be begging us for the key. You shouldn't have done that. Perhaps once they discover the secret of the old guard, interestingly, our heroes are never actually called that, maybe they can let the rest of us know. The film suffers from all the failings of a comic book movie, too much action at the expense of story, and none of the pleasures. There's very little humour, and calling the characters wafer-thin is an insult to wafers. We don't have all the answers. But we do have purpose. I strongly recommend that we leave right now. There are glimmers of something a little better in The Old Guard, mostly from the actors. Charlize and Chuetel are always good to watch, and so is newcomer, if Beale Street could talk's Kiki Lane as Niall. They're going to lock us up and weaponize us, but they've never faced an army like ours. An army of five. Shit, let's start a band. But the secret to a good comic book movie is you've got to believe. That's why the makers of The Avengers and Wonder Woman succeed, and why The Old Guard is currently only viewable on Netflix. Let's move! Wait for the signal. How the hell can you even tell? Oh... It's always great when New Zealanders do well at the Oscars. We all got a lift from Peter Jackson's clean sweep at the 2003 Academy Awards and also from more recent wins by scriptwriter Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit and editor John Gilbert for 2016's Hacksaw Ridge. With the world so set on tearing itself apart doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. Private Doss, you are free to run into the hellfire of battle without a single weapon to protect yourself. 
New Zealand is almost unique in the movie world right now. There are actually movies being filmed here, our own and big overseas projects. Overseas, they're mostly in lockdown, and even if they manage to make some films, the cinemas are all closed. Now, this is particularly tough for any of our filmmakers who've started to launch their career internationally. People like Oscar-winning editor John Gilbert, who remains frustratingly on standby here at home at the very time his career should be taking off. Hi, John. How are you feeling? Hi, Simon. Well, I am feeling frustrated because I'm used to working. I've been uh, editing films for 30 years, more or less continuously. I I was on a film in London and uh, we reached the end of the first edit and we needed more footage. I was doing a spy film with Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz, Lupita Nyong'o. You know, it was an interesting film, but like most of these films, we then shoot pickups, additional scenes, change things, and uh, the lockdown happened. So well, that was the thing that a number of people I knew were saying, well, you know, the one group of people who are doing all right out of this are editors, because they can work at home. But you can't make bricks without straw, clearly. No, we'd got to the end of that process, and uh, there was a, a pickup shoot planned for May or June, uh, which was cancelled at the last moment, and uh, I got on a plane home just in time to spend two weeks in self-quarantine. I've been talking to various people about things that might happen, but uh, nothing actually really happening as yet. There's a famous line, I can't even remember who said it, but somebody says the director shoots the script and then the editor makes the movie afterwards, or shapes it in a way that makes it something different. Well, I always like to think that it's a collaboration and between the pair of you, you make something better than either of you would have made individually. When you launch yourself into a project, you have to trust the process and you don't know what's going to happen. It's a voyage of discovery. You try all sorts of things. You bounce ideas off off the director. The film evolves into something, hopefully gets better and better as, as you explore. But right now, currently nobody's shooting. I mean, they're shooting here a bit. I mean, there are, I know that there are some quite big projects happening in New Zealand, aren't there? Well, Avatar is shooting here. Jane Campion's just finished shooting her film. Uh, I think Lord of the Rings TV series is in Auckland. I'm not sure if they're still shooting. And there are a lot of things starting to be talked about shooting from September, October on, I think, some New Zealand films. But we've still got a problem in that if we've got overseas cast, uh, you need to get approval to get them into the country. And I've been told by various people that that approval has not necessarily been granted. Uh, I think Avatar got a large number of people in, but they're a billion-dollar enterprise. I think if you're a smaller film, it's been more difficult. A lot of people have been saying, well, New Zealand is in a a unique position right now because we are reasonably COVID-free, you know. There's a lot of talk and there's money being earmarked for things, but I haven't seen any... I don't know how far down the track it is. People are talking about building studios in Christchurch and Hawke's Bay, and, you know, that's not going to happen in a hurry. No. You don't knock up a studio and start work in three months' time, and by the time these things are built, who knows, the world could be functioning back to normal. I hope we don't end up with a whole lot of studios and, and nothing to put in them. There is shooting happening. I, I did a film with Baltasar Kumikur, an Icelandic director, and uh, they're shooting again, but they've come up with an ingenious sort of protocol where different parts of the crew get different colour codes. They wear different colour tags and they're allowed to uh, mix amongst themselves but they've got to stay away. So the camera department will have a yellow tag and the actors will have a blue tag and whatever and uh, they've been shooting again for quite a while. They're shooting again in Britain. They're starting to, I believe. The actors are standing... uh, 
and unnaturally distance apart from each other. So it's definitely altering the nature of filmmaking. If you're making an intimate film, it's going to affect the nature of the film. It's just not going to play as well if, if you haven't got the freedom to mm-hmm. shoot things in a natural way. One group of people who it's quite good news for in some respects are makers of B-movies. There used to be a system basically in the old days where movies would come out and then some of them would just fall off the release schedule because they didn't quite make the sense. That's true. Makes sense. And they would go, what they used to refer to as go straight to video. Then they became straight to DVD and now they're straight to Netflix. Well, those straight to Netflix movies, they're back and they're in a lot of cinemas at the moment. Well, I think uh, there are a lot of films like that that probably wouldn't have had much uh, access to the screens. Uh, Normally, all these other movies would have been filling the space, so they think if we can get into the cinemas, there's no competition, so we're getting out there. And uh, obviously, we've got a new model now with Netflix and the streaming. I think filmmakers want people to see their films in the theatre. It's such a different experience, such a, a big experience. And it's also tougher on the filmmakers. As an editor, you have to capture the audience In a cinema, you have time. You have maybe 20, 30 minutes. But if you haven't captured them in that amount of time on a TV set, people have gone. They've they've channel surfed off somewhere else. The big news in the last couple of weeks was the fate of Mulan, which was um, Nikki Caro's comeback in some respects. It was a big deal Disney production. It was Mulan, which had a lot of interest in China. So there was every possibility this was going to do good business in world cinemas. And then suddenly... The lockdown happens, suddenly all these cinemas are closed, and it's going to Disney+, Plus, which is a, a streaming service. Now, my question is this. Is that good for her or bad for her? Well, uh, the, the editor of that film, I was talking to him a couple of days ago. He's a friend of mine, and uh, I know he was very, very disappointed that the film wasn't going to be in the cinemas. It was supposed to be released back in March, and I actually saw Nikki uh, as I was exiting London. She was on the same plane flying out back to L.A. She'd been to London for the launch, mm. and the launch had been cancelled, and she'd had, had dinner. She'd flown into London, had dinner with someone, and flown out again. So that was the start of the disappointment, and I know that Disney has been planning on having it in the cinema for a long time. They had uh, spots in the Super Bowl, I think. So they've spent a lot of money on publicity for it, uh, especially in China, where it would have had a huge audience in the, in the cinemas. Uh, so I'm surprised, even though it's going out on Disney+, Plus, uh, I would have imagined it would still go out in cinemas in China, where they're going to the cinemas again, I think. You were saying that you're obviously in contact with a whole lot of other people who are in the same situation as you are. How bad is it at the moment out there in the film world? Well, I was talking to my agent uh, a couple of days ago. He's been home since March. He hasn't been down to his office in five months. In L.A., it's really bad, I think. London's been tough. New York, uh, his people aren't working, and it's a tough time. And I, I personally, I've struggled with it. I'm used to being really busy, and uh, I've painted one wall of the house. I've cleaned the windows. I've done a lot of home repairs that needed doing, and, mm. uh, you know, that's, that's all gone now when I get back to work. International film editor John Gilbert. Like John, we wait with interest the progress of a movie industry counting down to an end to the worldwide lockdown. And speaking of counting down, that brings this show to a close. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 